I'm still here. And Dave and Karen are away for another week, so uh, back with me again. Sean uh, is also out and traveling, and uh, you may have heard about his luggage in Canada that once was lost but now is found. So that's a good that's a good thing. Appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, just pray for Sean and Gail. Sean's going to be pretty busy all the way through about March. A lot of traveling. They have got him booked solid. So not really happy about that, but I guess it is work. That's a, that's a good thing, but along the road a lot, and that's not, Do you know how that's not easy. Dorothy. Last I heard from Dorothy, she um, had a, a fracture in her wrist that she fell on, and uh, she does have some swelling around her nose, a couple of black eyes, a little panda bear thing going on, but uh, she, if you hadn't heard, Dorothy Hawkins tripped and fell uh, in Onawana on Thursday night, heading out of the building, going across to Chapman. She turned to um, say something, one of the kids behind her got her attention, so she turned around, kind of drifted off the sidewalk, and her foot caught the grass instead, and caused her just to stumble forward, and she landed right on her face. And so they did go to urgent care just to get checked out and found out that her sore wrist was actually, had some sort of a, of a fracture in it. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So, there we are. Speaking of those kind of things, I wonder, are there other prayer requests that we should remember before we get started this morning? What is going on in the, in the spiritual battle centered in Rush Prairie, Washington? From your line of fire. Yeah, Dave. Uh-huh. has a brain tumor, has been battling that for a couple of years now, uh, now started having strokes. So it was her daughter, their daughter, that was baptized, was it last Sunday? No, Sunday before. Sunday before. That was, that was Robin Vera's daughter. That uh, one of the things that caused her to uh, really overcome her own uh, shyness in being before the whole scary church is that uh, she wanted her mom to share that. And uh, mom's condition was... was, was was weakening dramatically. <clears throat> so we pray for Robin and Vera. Thank you. Other other things to pray for. Brian, Jenny, how are you? Know just just direction what to do, how the Lord will provide, and just His mercy, His mercy upon them in all kinds of ways. All right. Okay, let me ask just a couple of you then, if you would pray for these needs as you've heard them, if there's something else that the Lord puts on your heart as you're praying, that's great, and then uh, I'll close. So a couple of you just lead out in prayer regarding these needs that we've heard. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you again to come to the services and hear the word of God. Lord, we just humble ourselves and try to humble ourselves. Sometimes we don't, we kind of mess up. So Lord, we just pray for your guidance and your understanding of our weak ways and lead us, let us step out and say the word for you, Lord, and help us to do this. Lord, there are members of our church that are in a hurting position, their, their bodies are breaking up and their age is set against them. So Lord, we do pray for them and all the things that they have to deal with and 
things they have to get through. So Lord, we know you love us. We do love you, Lord. And we thank you very much for being with us and able to rely on you. In your name, amen. Father, I want to lift up your to you. She's been a soldier all the years, sharing those verses with your own kids. Lord, she suffered injury. Lord, we ask for grace and healing for her work, take the pain of the broken wrist and the other things, Lord. Give her grace and peace. Give her full healing, Lord. Lord, also give our own estimator that have been together for 60 years. And Lord, uh, just help him to honor her knees physically and do the things that need to happen. Lord, we pray that bring him back and bring him back and bring very soon. Heavenly Father, we also want to specifically lift up to you this morning, Lord, uh, two families, um, Robin and Vera, and also Brian and Jenny. Lord, they are facing, younger than they expected, a very difficult things, Lord, and looking mortality face to face. Lord, we pray for your mercy. Lord, we pray for your grace that is beyond what we can imagine. Father, we pray, Lord, also that you would speak into the anxiety of their hearts. Lord, your word tells us to be anxious for nothing only because we can lay it at your, at your throne. And that the, your peace, that peace that passes understanding, would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that for them. We pray that indeed your, your peace would guard their hearts and minds. That they would know most of all their security in their Savior. The sureness of your hands, no matter what circumstances might tell them. Lord, uh, we pray for your grace this morning. We ask you to open your word to us by your spirit. Lord, open our ears for hearing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been um, intrigued by a psalm this morning. Well, all week long. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is a, is a prophetic psalm. It's a psalm that refers to Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 10 tells us that Psalm 40 refers to Jesus. And yet it refers to us as well. I'm actually going to uh, share this a little later in the service, but um, I'll, I'll give you a look in advance because it relates to uh, my prayer. It relates to how we approach the Word on any occasion. Speaking... In, in a way that, that definitely speaks to the book of Leviticus, the psalmist says, Sacrifice, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. Now that's a little confusing for me, because God commanded them to bring sacrifices. And yet, and yet that wasn't what God desired in verse 6. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. The Greek version says, But a body you have prepared for me. Speaking of Christ, certainly the ultimate sacrifice. But the Old Testament Hebrew reads it a little bit differently. It says, an ear you have dug for me, or my ear you have opened. 
You can think about that. You know, I saw, I was watching MeTV, and MeTV has some fascinating commercials on it. I don't know if you've ever seen that channel. Um, it's, it's a lot of old, old television shows, but I, I think they're insulting our intelligence when they, with, with some of the things that they advertise on that channel. One of them is the earvac. Have you seen the earvac that'll suck that earwax right on In ear, you have dug for me. My ears, you have opened. Do you remember when Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Oh, where did he get that from? Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but, but my ear you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you do not require, or you were not pleased with. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. Certainly that speaks of Christ, and we think, yeah, in the scroll of the book it was written about him. But the Hebrew would also read, The scroll of the book is for me. Your word is for me. Your word is my delight. You have opened my ear that I could hear it and... I desire, I delight to do your will, O oh God. Oh yes, that's absolutely true of Christ. But not merely. Not only. Same thing would be true of a born-again and spirit-filled believer, wouldn't it? Our ears opened, His law written within our hearts, we desire to do His will. And so, that's where I get... The prayer that says, as we sing, speak, O Lord. The prayer that says, Father, open by your spirit your word to us that we might hear. I want to I give a, an overview this morning. We used to have, have a class. Well, we used to have classes both hours and two services. And Sean Sullivan taught a class the second hour. He said he liked to teach the second hour class because that would give him an opportunity to correct everything I had said in the sermon. <laughs> well, I understand that Sean over the summer taught something on the covenant. So this is my opportunity to, to correct everything that Sean taught you about the covenants, okay? And you can tell him I said that. That would be a lot of fun. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is the foundational statement of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, which is God's promise to Abraham. And this is an I will promise. This is not a if you will, then I will promise. This is an I will, what God will do, covenant or promise. Genesis chapter 12, first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, I will, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. The covenant is, is expanded later on, both in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 18 to Abraham. There are three elements of the Abrahamic covenant. Three elements. There's a, there's a land promised to Abraham. Walk about, Abraham, every place you set your foot, this is the land that I'm going to give to you. Everywhere you now, Abraham doesn't receive that. Abraham has to buy a spot to bury Sarah later on. But this land is promised to Abraham and to his descendants. There's descendants promise. I'm going to make of you a great nation. There are going to be descendants from you, Abraham. And from you and from your descendants, I'm going to make of you a a, or, or rather, from your descendants, all the nations will be blessed. 
all the nations, not all the people of the earth will be blessed coming into Israel as a nation. All of the nations in their own national identities will be blessed, Abraham, in you and something about your descendants in this land. The land, the descendants, and the blessing are wrapped together in one promise, okay? Now what I want to propose to you, the big idea of the morning is that those, that one covenant, it's called, the Abrahamic covenant is called the granddaddy of them all. Other major covenants flow out of the Abrahamic covenant or promise. The land, seed, blessing, those three elements are expressed in three other covenants that basically are the story of the Bible. The big chunks of the Bible are dealing with these three covenants. And if you understand those three covenants just as a big idea framework, it'll make some sense out of your Bible reading anywhere you're reading. You'll understand what's going on and why is this happening in ways that can help you from jumping in the wrong place and trying to follow the wrong set of instructions. If you understand the framework of what, what covenant is being worked here, okay? So there's three covenants I mentioned. Land, seed, and blessing. Um, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Genesis 15 is an important passage. It establishes that this covenant is based on faith, not works. Abraham doesn't deserve it. In fact, he's already gone down to Egypt. He's already given his wife away once. And still... God has this covenant. God preserves his wife so that the promise that he made can still be fulfilled concerning these descendants. You get to Genesis 15. He's just rescued Lot and there's these rewards, but he's turned it down. He's said, I don't want your stuff. And, he says, and, and God says, I will be your reward. In Genesis 15, Abraham says, God, what are you going to give me? What can you give me? I can't take it with me. And I'm going to die soon. I will not live forever. And what's going to come after me? I don't have an heir. I don't have any descendants. He said this, this servant who was born in my household. Verse 3 of Genesis 15. Abraham says, Behold, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household, a servant born in my household, will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to this man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, number the stars if you can. So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. A passage Paul grabs in the New Testament. Abraham believed God, and that faith was counted to him for righteousness. Not anything he does. Important passage. It goes on. The, the, um, this, 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 this covenant and the descendants, that unpacks in the book of Genesis... Um, from Abraham to Isaac, it's reinforced, to Jacob, it's reinforced. And the fact of this descendant, and the blessing that's going to come, that's why the, the Ishmael and Isaac thing is so huge. That's why it matters. That's why Genesis 22 is such a mountaintop in the book of Genesis. Because Isaac's going to die, right? Isaac's to be offered, God said so, and yet Isaac is the descendant that God has put his finger on and said, this is the one through whom the promise, the covenant that can't be broken is going to be fulfilled. Okay? Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, there's a, there's a confirming of this Abrahamic covenant. There's a, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a saying, I think it's Genesis 18, Genesis 18, where, where they cut the covenant? Sorry? 
17. Thank you. Thank you. Genesis chapter 17. No. I'm looking for the sacrifices and the burning torch that goes through the sacrifices. Is that back in 15? That I should have put in my notes, obviously. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, it is right there in chapter 15. It was in my notes. I'm sorry. Okay. How, am I, how, how can I know, Lord, that you're going to do this? Abraham says in verse 8. How shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? And so God says, okay, we're going to cut a covenant. We're going to formalize this deal in the way that was common in the, in the ancient Near East. We're going to lay out some sacrifices. We're going to take these animals and we're going to kill them and we're going to chop them in half. We're going to lay them half here and half here and half here and half here. And there's this row of dead animals. Boy, this is graphic. God loves an object lesson. And what the two making the covenant would do is they together would walk through the um, aisle that was so nicely decorated by these carcasses. And walking through that, they were agreeing, so shall it be to you or I, if either one of us will break the word of this covenant that we are making together. So it was a covenant that was unbreakable. It was a covenant, it was a covenant that was based on even to the death of those who made it, should they break it. They were pledging their own lives in this covenant, okay? But then what happens in Genesis 15? Lays them all out and and um, and uh, Abraham is left to chase the vultures away, you know, to preserve the offerings, and nothing happens. And then God makes Abraham fall asleep. Abraham falls asleep. And then the glory of God in this torch, the glory of God, the presence of God. Okay, he's got all the sacrifices. Let me find this line. When the sun was going down, in verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Behold, horror, great darkness falls upon him. And then God said to Abraham, No, certainly your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them. They will afflict them for 400 years. Also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they will come out with great possessions. There's Exodus. Summarized it in two verses. Why couldn't I do that last week? <laughs> now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they will return. This is all going to come to pass. And it came to pass, verse 17, the sun went down, it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch, the, the glory of God himself that passed through between those pieces. Abraham is left asleep. God himself passes through the sacrifices. God formalizes the covenant. It will stand not upon what Abraham does. It will stand only upon what God does. Okay, Abrahamic covenant is handed down to Isaac and to Jacob. Neither one of them deserve it either, and yet it's based on God's word and not upon them. We get to that fulfillment out of there. They're in that foreign land, Egypt. They're brought up out of Egypt. They come to Sinai. What happens at Sinai? What happens there at the mountain? What does God give them? God gives them tablets. God gives them a law. If you're going to worship me, this is how you're going to do it. How is a sinful people going to abide with me? I'm going to give you this land, this inheritance. Why is he giving them a land? Why is he giving them the land? Who did he promise that to? Abraham. So he's fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Is it conditional upon them or is it unconditional? Them, God giving them this land. It's unconditional. God's going to give them this land. Okay, but then he says, this is my covenant with you. And he makes it what's called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant. 
the covenant of Sinai covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant, some people call it the Deuteronomic, Deuteronomic covenant. Because the end of, end of the book of Deuteronomy, this whole thing comes up again, and it's basically this, this is my law. If you keep my commands, if you keep this covenant, you can stay in the land. You'll enjoy it. It'll be fruitful. It'll prosper. The harvests are going to be huge. The flocks are going to grow. It's going to be wonderful. You will live in houses you did not build. You will harvest from orchards you did not plant. And your, your enemies, a thousand, will, 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 will flee before ten men. And it's just going to be great. But if you don't, but if you don't, the land is going to spew. You know God used words like that? If you don't, this land is going to spew you out. Just like it did those who were here before you. If you want to receive the blessing and the benefit of this land, you need to follow my covenant. You need to follow the, the commandments of Moses. But it doesn't change who the land belongs to. It doesn't change the fact that this inheritance is for a people descended from Abraham. It changes your enjoyment of it. Okay? Some of the Mosaic Covenant, especially look at those last couple of chapters of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. You find the same thing at the end of, at the end of, end of Leviticus. There's a blessing, but there's also the cursing, and yet there's the promise of a return. Because violating the Mosaic Covenant, which they do, does not invalidate God's promise. God will be true, though every man be found a liar, Romans says. Right? God's word is, is, is unchangeable. God has decreed that will stand regardless of what Israel does. But Israel's enjoyment of the promise, Israel's enjoyment of their inheritance, oh wow, we're, we're already paralleling the Christian life. We have life in Christ. We already foretaste in the new covenant, we already have a foretaste of the eternal life by the Spirit living within. And yet our appreciation of, our enjoyment of that new covenant blessing is conditioned by or is related to our walking in the Spirit. As we yield ourselves to God and walk in the Spirit, we will taste, we will appreciate, we will live in our inheritance. We don't lose it by not obeying. We just won't enjoy the fruit of it. Same thing with Israel. Israel is a... You, you are not, in fact, in Deuteronomy, he's so bold as to say, you know, and when you depart, when you depart from me, when you go and serve other gods, and when I bring in a foreign nation to take you all the way into captivity, but then when you call upon me, I will bring you back again. The land's still theirs. It's promised to them. He says, this is what you're going to do. It doesn't take away the fact that the land is yours. It takes away your enjoyment of it. Okay, where are we at? We're okay. All right. So, Mosaic Covenant, Deuteronomic Covenant. Now, how does that fit into the Bible? What's my thing board here? Okay, Genesis 12. Abraham. Abraham still, actually. Okay, 12, 1 to 3. Out of that flows, should we call it the Mosaic? That's easier to spell. Okay. Out of that flows the Mosaic. Out of that flows... David, you should know something about that. Because David Brown was just teaching.
teaching about that, right? So you know something about that. Good. I'll, I'll, I'll just get my, take my cues from you there. And then I'm going to throw in already the new covenant. All right. The Mosaic covenant. Obeying God. Blessings in the land. That's what's happening. The book of Joshua, they're stepping into it now, right? It's given to them in Exodus, Leviticus, into Deuteronomy. That's explained. They practice it in, Deuter in, in, in the book of Numbers along the way to the land. They enter the land in Joshua. It doesn't take long to go from Joshua to Judges. And what's happening there? They drift away. They experience oppression. They experience discipline. And then what do they do? They repent. And they call upon the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He delivers them. They're still in the land, but He delivers them from those who are oppressing them. And then rinse and repeat, right? And it just goes on, and it continues, and it continues. That cycle, well, that cycle is to give us the picture of what's happening. And it's going to keep happening, I keep going that way, this way. It's going to keep happening on through Old Testament history. All the way through 1st and 2nd Samuel, all the way through Kings and Chronicles, you have this issue. And then finally, Nehemiah and Ezra bring them back in, right? Well, let me stop off the book of Ruth. What's the book of Ruth? One little family, their experience, out of the land, and then mercifully back into the land, and God providing and restoring where there was no hope of restoration. Inheritance was lost, but God restores them. And links that restoration of this people in the land, what's God linked it to? Well, this is good, and I hadn't thought of this before. This is good. What does God link in the book of Ruth, this restored family, to? Ruth is becoming the grandfather of David. He links that covenant with the next one, the Davidic covenant. You see it? Wow, so cool. So here you've got Old Testament history. Old Testament history is dealing with that Mosaic covenant and the people's response to it. Okay? Now, what are the prophets doing? What are the Old Testament prophets doing? They're, they're, they're condemning, they're not, we think about prophecy, we think about predicting the future, right? Well, that's there, but it's actually an aside. It's a, because of this, we better include that, the prophecy. Because of what? They're calling Israel to account for not keeping the Mosaic Covenant, for not keeping God's law. Not living in God's law, which doesn't mean they had to live perfectly. It meant when they realized they did not live purposely, they bring the sacrifice and they approach God on the basis of a substitute that is slain because of their sin. They repent, God, I need your forgiveness. The law is not about perfection. The law is about the realization of our imperfection, our need for a sacrifice. But even that they laid aside. We don't need the Lord. They begin to echo Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that we should listen to him? They begin to listen to all the other gods round about, or the other, the other spiritual powers round about of the peoples of the land, exactly what God told them not to do. So the prophets, the prophets are calling Israel to account of that law. The prophets are indicting Israel, you could say. Uh, one of the places you find this, look at Isaiah chapter 1. I'll give you one example of it, but when you read the prophets, I want you to think about it in this light. On what basis are these prophets condemning Israel? What charge are they bringing? You have not kept God's law. Malachi sums it up 
beautifully, but, and as the last prophet, he beautifully summarizes what the prophets are doing. And yet, because they have not kept God's law, they're going to be carried away into, into captivity. Isaiah predicts the captivity, right? And yet, because Isaiah predicts the captivity, what does Isaiah also have to predict? The restoration. And the future new covenant and the Davidic king, the Messiah, the Savior, who will bring about that new covenant, who will bring about the restoration. Because that has to happen, because the Abrahamic covenant is what? Unconditional. God has said it, God will do it. Isaiah chapter 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nurtured, nourished, and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. And he goes on. Where will you be stricken again? Where will I beat you again? How could I discipline you again to cause me, you to obey me? Verse 18, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they would be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The expectation of the law was not that this people would be perfect. The expectation of the law was that this people would recognize their sin and repent of it and seek God's forgiveness over and over and over again looking toward that deliverer who would come. Okay, so there's the Old Testament history and the prophets in light of that Mosaic covenant. Well, along the way, you know, God also promised to Abraham and to Sarah that kings would come forth from them. The, the, the issue with Saul, and I suppose David probably, probably described this along the way as you were doing Samuel, the issue with Saul was not merely that they wanted a king. God said that. God said that kings were going to come from Abraham. Some of his descendants in this line, this promised line, would be kings. The issue was, we want a king like the other nations. So before God gave them a king after his own heart, we gave them a king like the other nations. Well, that's what you wanted. Be careful what you put on your Christmas list, huh? You just might get it. And they did. So... Along the way, there is this Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now you tell me, what is the Davidic covenant? You've been here recently. I didn't even study this part because I knew you guys had it, so help me. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. God says, I want to build a house to the Lord. I want to build a temple for the Lord. Well, I said, no, 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 you're not going to build a house for me. What? I'm going to build... I'm going to build you a house. By house he means a family, a heritage, a lineage, a dynasty. Okay, what's the Davidic covenant? The land forever. Okay. Uh, the dynasty, an unending dynasty. Okay. And an everlasting kingdom. Especially, especially a son to sit on your throne. One of your sons to sit on your throne forever. There's the Davidic promise. There's the promise to David. One of his sons would sit on the throne forever. And as you read there, 2 Samuel 7, it sounds somewhat like Solomon, and somewhat not like Solomon. And other places where the Davidic covenant is expanded, like Psalm 89. Turn over to Psalm 89. Did Dave take you there when you were in 2 Samuel 7? 
Right next to 2 Samuel 7, you ought to jot a marginal note. Your study Bible probably has it to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Verse 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed... I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Your seed, your descendant, I will establish forever. And build up your throne to all generations. And it goes on. You can work through Psalm, 80, Psalm 89. You find more expression about that, that Davidic covenant. Uh, verse Verse 27. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep from him forever. I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever. His throne is the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law, do not walk in my judgments. I will punish them for their transgressions. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break. Verse 35, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure Forever. There's the Davidic covenant. Okay? So the Davidic covenant, a king to reign, and there is, there, there is, there, the, the Davidic covenant concerns the descendant. The descendant, or the seed. Abrahamic covenant, a land, Seed, descendants, and a blessing. In the land, through this particular descendant, the particular blessing will come. Alright? So, here, now we fill in, if, if the Mosaic Covenant is concerned especially with Old Testament history and the prophets, this is what you're supposed to do, this is how well they didn't do at it, and the prophets' indictment of that. The Davidic covenant is fleshed out, well, along with Psalm 89, is fleshed out in the prophets in terms of the hope, the, uh, the deliverer who would come. Can somebody turn and start reading in Isaiah chapter 11? Isaiah chapter 11. the Davidic king done right. Huh? Okay. Isaiah 7. A little Christmas sidebar here. Isaiah chapter 7. God comes to Ahaz. What you're worried about? Those terrible <coughs> raiders you're afraid of. Don't sweat it. 
Just trust me. You need to believe me, Ahaz. And Ahaz says, no, 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 it's okay, don't worry. No, 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 Isaiah says, Ahaz, you need to believe the Lord. Ask of the Lord a sign. The Lord says, ask of me a sign. Ask of something big. Make me, let it be as high as the heavens above. Let it be something that's going to cause me to flex the right arm of my power. You need to believe. Ask of me a sign that's going to help you believe. And the, the self-righteous king says, I'm not going to tempt the Lord or ask him for a sign. That sounds great, except when God says, buddy, you need to ask of me a sign. And so a, 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 a Isaiah says to Ahaz in Isaiah 7.14, This shall be the sign to the house of David. A wicked and unbelieving king is on the throne. This is going to be the sign when the righteous king has come. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. When the angels come and make the announcement... Who do they tell? Shepherds. Shepherds in a field. Where? A field outside what town? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Who whose family lives in Bethlehem? Isn't it interesting? The indictment was brought against the house of David. And Isaiah says, listen all you house of David. This is the sign. And then the angels come and they pronounce, Unto you a child is born, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ of the Lord. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This will be a sign for you. This is the sign. This is it, house of David. And isn't it fun how God goes not to, not to Jerusalem, because the house of David wasn't reigning there any longer. Herod was in Jerusalem. He's not Davidic. He's hardly Jewish. So, God makes the announcement to the house of David, to a handful of shepherds of the house of David, that the Davidic son is now here. Okay? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. When you get to Matthew chapter 1, you'll see why I led you there. Go ahead and read it. Somebody with a loud, clear, strong voice. Oh, I don't know. Just start. You'll see it. All right. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Oh, that works for me. <laughs> What's the point? And not only is he Davidic, but he's what? Abrahamic. Abrahamic. You see the connection. <laughs> boom, boom. Prophets and Gospels. The prophets and the Gospels are especially concerned with the Davidic covenant. Here is the king. What do they cry out when he enters Jerusalem? Passion week. Hosanna to the son of David. Yeah. Son of David, deliver me. The blind man says. Even the blind man could see it. Son of David. That's who he was. That's why he does the miracles. The miracles are, are, the, are the demonstration of the Messiah's, the kings, the Davidic kings, kingdom. When he reigns, this is what it's going to be like. The lame will walk, the blind will see. And, and so when John the Baptist comes, is in prison and John the Baptist sends word to Jesus and he says, Are you the one? Are you the king? 
Are you the David's son? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus said, says back to him, Yeah, I'm the one. Tell John I'm the one. Is that what he said? What did he say? Somebody who remembers it. Yeah, he said, Go tell John what you see. Go tell John that the lame are walking, the blind are seen, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. John knows the book. John knows the prophecies. John will know. And it doesn't have to be based on my word. It's by the attesting miracles of the Messiah giving a foretaste of his kingdom. That's what the Gospels are about. Prophesied in the prophets because of the breakdown here leads us into the Davidic promise of the one who would come, who would be the righteous son, who would fulfill the Mosaic Covenant completely. And you see it lived out in the Gospels. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus says. He lives in the Mosaic Covenant perfectly as the son of Abraham, the son of David. See it? Okay. Now, closing the Gospels, however, Jesus says, as we're going to celebrate today, I'll pause, sidebar, word of advertisement. Uh, Pastor Evan is one that wants us to do the Lord's Table a little bit differently today. We're not going to be serving row to row. We're instead going to be have, have tables up front and inviting people through an extended set of worship. After the sermon, we'll have an extended set of worship, several songs about our redemption, about Christ's sacrifice for us. And in that time, freely come up to one of those tables up front and be served. A group of you may come together and serve one another and partake of the of being reminded the body of Christ was given for you, the blood of Christ was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So when we do that, it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. We will also, we will also have servers in the aisles for um, watching for anybody in the congregation that wants to just slip up their hands. It's too awkward for them to get out. John in your wheelchair, you don't want to roll up front. We're going to bring it to you. But in the midst of all of this, okay, because it's different, don't hesitate. You guys, join in with... Pastor Evan doesn't want to do this every time. This may be the only time we do this. But he wanted us to do something different just to cause us to think about the table. Okay? So I'm asking you, as a, as a core class, to... Okay, join in. Jump in. Be some of the folks who will, who will rise early and then in the midst of worship come up front and lead the way to the table, so to speak. Okay? Deal? Fair? Okay. Jesus says around that table, this cup, Passover, fulfilled in his death, this cup is the what? The new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. What is he talking about, the new covenant? Jeremiah 31, 31. It's easy to remember. Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah is writing in the midst of Israel already being carried away into captivity. The breakdown of not only the Mosaic Covenant, but the breakdown of the Davidic line as well, right? The kings of David have not been good kings. You saw the prelude to it in the breakaway northern kingdom, which were no longer Davidic kings, and not one of them was worth a hoot as far as, as, as leading the people toward godliness. 
they consistently led the people away from godliness, away from Jerusalem and away from the temple. But the kings of David in Jerusalem didn't do much better, and they should have. And so they are carried away into Babylon, just like Deuteronomy predicted. And in the midst of that, in, in Jeremiah 31, 31, Jeremiah predicts what is going to happen. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. When was that? Sinai. That was Mosaic covenant. Oh, Deuter- Deuteronomic? How are we going to say that? You know the one. Okay. Not like that one. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Hebrews 8 unpacks that a little bit. He says a new covenant. It's a new kind of covenant that makes the old covenant, makes the preceding covenant obsolete. We do not. I'm going to teach Leviticus today, but I'm not going to tell you all the things that you should do. I'm not going to tell you, okay, look at all these things written in Leviticus. These are the things you should obey. Oh, there's things that we learn about the character of God that we should also walk in because we are sons of the living God. But we don't try to measure ourselves and fulfill the law of the Old Covenant. It's already been found wanting. Why was the Old Covenant faulted? Hebrews chapter 8. Let's, let's flip over. We got, to, oh, yeah, we, got, we, got, we got a few minutes. Okay. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 7. He's going to quote Jeremiah 31, but first he intros it, he sets it up with this. If that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If the first covenant worked, you don't need a second covenant, or a new covenant. But finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. In that days, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. What has become obsolete is growing old, ready to vanish away. Why was the new covenant necessary? Was it because the old covenant had some weakness? The old covenant was a problem? The old covenant wasn't quite perfect? This was God's word. This was God's law. What was wrong with it? He doesn't say finding fault with the law. He says finding fault with them. That's all that the law could do. I still remember a little ditty that somebody taught me years and years ago. It says, run, run, and do the law commands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands. A better thing the gospel brings. It bids me fly, and it gives me wings. I will put my law into your heart. Not written on stone, but written on flesh. I will put my spirit within you. There's a new covenant. The spirit dwelling within believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. One of the places where Paul specifically applies that new covenant specifically. Can't be missed 
to the all nations church. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, you know, people traveled around from church to church and they had letters of recommendation. How do we know who you are? So Paul says, well, listen, you don't need a letter of recommendation from me, as if they might dare to ask for one. Remember, Paul started this church. Paul was the one who led them to Christ. Paul was the one who raised them up in the gospel and taught them how to walk. They took their first baby steps with him. They went from him from soft mother's milk to, to more solid food. And then they went on their way, like teenagers do. Chapter 3, verse 1. Do we need to commend ourselves? Do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation or recommendation, letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in hearts, known and read by all men. The transformation of your own lives, that's our recommendation. How has that happened? How was that letter written? Clearly, verse 3, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living and active and real and hear God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. Not that we, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. It's not our ministry. Our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient. Who enables us by His grace as ministers of the new covenant. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's where we live. Ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, Romans 7. The law kills. It's meant to condemn. It's meant to press us towards the Savior. The book of Galatians says that the purpose of the law is as a a school conductor to lead us toward Christ. That's the purpose of the law. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the Spirit lives His life of Christ. That fruit of the Spirit, what is it? It's Christ-likeness. That's what God is doing in us. God is He's transforming us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. That's the last verse of this chapter. With the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty, and we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what he's doing. That's the ministry of the Spirit in the new covenant. And that then fills up... the church epistles. So all of the Bible fits into this framework of this Abrahamic covenant that's given to us in Genesis chapter 12. The Mosaic covenant, the Old Testament history, and the indictment of the prophets. The Davidic covenant, the promise of a coming righteous king, takes up the promise of the prophets and is unfolded in the Gospels. And because of his coming, because of his death, he inaugurates the new covenant, which is the blessing in you will all nations be blessed. The Davidic covenant is not the fulfillment, even in Christ's reign over Israel as David's king, is not the fulfillment of blessings to all nations. That's a fulfillment of blessing through Israel. But in the new covenant, all nations, even apart from Israel, Jew or Greek, Bond or free, male or female, there is no distinction all or one in Christ. That's new covenant. 
And then, of course, that wraps us all over to the book of Revelation, where all of this is fulfilled and, and rolled together into first the kingdom and then a new heavens and a new earth. And we're back around to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 again. There it is, the Bible in 40 minutes. Questions? Have I overwhelmed you? What have I left you lingering? What's, what's anything? Observations. Something that was an aha moment that was, oh, now I get this. Something else you'd want to throw out. For the rest of the group, I mean, not toss it aside. No? We're good? Yes, Scott. So somebody follows through with me on the issue of grace. It's for a while. It's in there because you, uh-huh. you still have, you still should tell the truth. Yeah. That takes us back, that mm. takes us back to the law. Mm, mm. Uh, so we're still under, under the direction of giving up the bondage of the law. The law shows us the character of God. Be ye holy, for I am holy. An expectation of us made in the image of God to be holy is based on the fact that God is holy and we are made in His image. We are to represent God for the rest of creation. We fail miserably at it, but that's our calling. That's our destiny. That's expressed in the law, but in our fallen condition, we will not keep it. Yet we can can keep it in the sense of we agree with the law. Paul says in Romans 7, I agree with the law. I just can't do it. I can't measure up. But the Spirit within me fulfills the law. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, who live, not according to the natural human ability, flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it's still a standard that we shoot for, knowing that we can achieve well, it, and God's grace... I'd, I'd be conscious, I, I would say, when I look at the law, I would say it this way. What does the law tell me about the character of God? Because there's, there's certain aspects of the law. For instance, are you, are you wearing a poly, a poly blend uh, shirt there? Or is that 100% cotton? You know, I could tell you that. Okay. Okay, I bet Marie could tell me. <laughs> if, you're blending, if you're blending your, your fabrics, you're violating the law. Repent doesn't mean just offer a sacrifice for it. Repent means get rid of that shirt. See, there's aspects of the law that are meant to tell us something about the purity of God and yet um, are not things that are intended for us to live in today. They are object lessons, if you will. We don't bring a lamb. In fact, I believe it would be heretical today to bring a lamb. It would deny, I think, the Catholic Mass, which perpetuates the sacrifice of Christ again, Christ dies again in every Mass, is, is, is flirting with heresy, because he died once for all. The just for the undest, just as now sat down at the right hand of God. So there's aspects of the law that we would not do. And the way to, to uh, find your way through, well, which ones do I keep and, and, and not keep? Ceremonial versus social versus personal. How do I know what to do? Is what does this teach me about the character of God? Because the Holy Spirit is leading me into and working in me the character of God. Godliness. What does it look like? It looks just like Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Well, which I thank you for not, not needing to study the Scripture. You're say the Holy Spirit is your only... Oh, how does the, how does the Holy Spirit reveal God to us? Just into my mind? Right here. Yeah. What will the Spirit do? He will remind you of those things which I said, Jesus said. Jesus didn't tell, hey, don't worry. You don't remember a lot of stuff, but the Holy Spirit's just going to cause you to think up stuff. No, he's going to cause you to remember what I said. And so the book, 
the book is for us. Old Testament and New. The Old Testament tells if, if but, but the chief end of it is to reveal who we are and who God is. For instance, the Ten Commandments, do not steal. What does it tell you about, in fact, I put this question on the, on the back of the sheet last week. What does it tell you about, him, about God, a commandment that says do not steal? God does not steal, God does not take, God gives. Okay? What does it tell us about humanity that we have to be told not to steal? That there's something wrong with us, why would we even need to be told that? Because we inherently will steal. You don't have to teach somebody to steal. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to take stuff, do you? Man, they're good at it. So, so the, the, uh, the, the, the law tells us something about ourselves. It tells us something about God. The, the, the distinction is, if I try to then, I make the law as a list. It's the list that I establish for myself, and this is Romans 7. When I establish a list, whether it's God's list or another one that somebody gives me, Maybe it's the one that we dream up right here at church. That list will set me up for failure because the list stirs rebellion within me. Because the problem is in me. That's what Paul says when he says, when the law came, sin was stirred up and I died. Yeah? I think, too, if you compare, well, in the Old Testament, they only had, the Holy Spirit only came upon people at certain times. But if you could... Today, now that the new covenant has come and the Holy Spirit lives within us mm-hmm. and we receive Christ, if you compare how you thought and what you did mm-hmm. prior to your acceptance of Christ, particularly if this happened as a adult, you can look back mm-hmm. and see how God writes on your heart. Yeah, yeah, there's what? changes. Yeah, there's changes, there's transformation. You think differently. And yet, and yet, we are, we are not, we don't... We don't, um, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, that even by my own awareness of good, of right and wrong, I'm not cleared by that. I'm not cleared by that because my mind is faulty still. My understanding, my, my reception, it's kind of like, a ra- if I were to use the radio analogy, there's a lot of static. There's a lot of, there's a lot of static in the air that causes reception problems, and I don't always get the signal clear from the Holy Spirit. That's not God's problem. I l- it bugs the snot out of me when people say what God is trying to say here. God isn't trying to say, it's like, well, God just struggles with communication. I struggle with communication, folks. God does not struggle with communication. We struggle with hearing. Oh, Psalm 40. My ear. You have a Let's pray. Father, would that be true? Would that be true more than anything else, Father? The answer for us to walk with the Spirit is that our ear would be opened to your word. As your psalmist says, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Thank you, Father, for your word that you've shown yourself to us. Thank you, Father, for giving us, Lord, insight to understand it so that we can know you because we want to walk with you. Lord, help us to do that. Father, bless the service to come, Father, as we, as we celebrate from your word. As you call us into worship here together and into worship in life. Father, would you be glorified through Christ our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who believe said, Amen. Amen.